Hi, I am Hannah Beer, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the Unraveling Money Podcast, where we approach the often stressful, and let's admit it, very confusing topic of money in an entirely new and different way. In this space, money gets to be blissful. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Unraveling Money. Today, I have a very special guest on. Her and I met through a business course that we were taking together, and I just kept kind of seeing her out of the corner of my eye. She was doing some really, really interesting work around business and money with women. She's a former financial planner, also has an amazing podcast. She helps midlife women from what it sounds like, really fall in love with money, master money, and not be so afraid of money anymore. Her name is Debbie Sasson. She lives in Israel, and she's amazing. So I'm so excited that you said yes to being a guest on my podcast today. Welcome, oh, Debbie. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. You're is awesome. it actually, I should ask you, is it Hannah or Hannah? That's like, we it should have really talked about that. It depends. So I'm half American, half German. My German side call me Hannah and my American side call me Hannah. But I know that um, my name first showed up in the first Testament, I think. And it means something in Hebrew, like I was once in Israel and it was explained to me. It means something like blessed by God, or at least that's how I understand it. So sometimes I feel like the root of my name is probably Hannah. Okay, well, there you go. Well, Hana, or I would say either Hana or Hana um, is for sure it's in, it's in the Bible. And the root is like, Hen is grace. <gasps> Did you know my daughter was called Grace? Oh, that's beautiful. My granddaughter is Ayelet Hen. So there you go. That's also um, Grace. So we're very connected. That's insane. I always laugh that all these like little details of life are so on point. Like, I could think that I was the one choosing Grace's name, but somehow I just felt when I was pregnant with her, that her name is Grace. Her purpose is Grace, that she is like an angel, you know, who came down onto this planet through me. So I love that Grace is a part of my name too. That's so cool. There you go. Okay. See, do we have to talk about money? Are we done now? (laughs) Uh, Let's still talk about money right before. Wait, I want to tell the story first. So I am often scared. So my big money block in life is like to be scared to think I can't do it. So I don't even try. And you wrote a book on investing. And I was like, oh, crap. (laughs) Investing is something I feel really scared about. Is it like this weird thing where you kind of put your money away and then you have no control over it and magical things happen to it, either like positive things or negative things. So I read your book. And it was so concise and so lovely. And that kind of, that's how I started to really be interested in the work that you do, because it feels very simple, very easy, digestible, practical. Um, So now I'm curious, what led you to help people with their money stuff? So my book is a product of my own story. And then my business has evolved because all of our businesses evolve over time. But I... I like to say I grew up on Wall Street. Right out of college, I got a job. I was on a trading floor on Wall Street. Now, part of which you now know from my book is there are two, let's say, primary investment vehicles. I mean, in financial assets, we're not talking property, we're not talking Bitcoin, but there are stocks and there are bonds. And when I was working on Wall Street, I worked on the bond trading floor. 
that sounds maybe like a lot less sexy than working on the stock trading floor because we all hear about the stock market and the stock market goes up, it goes down. Somebody even said, and I wrote this in the book, similar to what you were saying, the stock market feels like the emperor without clothes. And as you and I are recording this podcast, the stock market is down 15% this year. So it definitely does feel like you put your money somewhere and it goes up, it goes down and you have no idea or no idea or control over what's going on. And it's all like Russian roulette. But when I actually got more involved investing, which was different from what I was doing on Wall Street, I fell into this same, let's say trap. I went to an investment manager. I didn't want to invest in on my own. It was funny. I, I was speaking with one of my clients yesterday because we were doing some investing for her. And I just shared with her the first time I went to speak with an investment manager and he's talking, most of them are he's. And I walked out of that meeting with my head spinning and I was just warning her ahead of time that you might feel like you've just been hit by a Mack truck because so many investment managers, they talk and talk and they throw terms at you and this financial language and jargon, you don't really know what's going on. And we feel, especially as women, so intimidated to say like, stop, I want to ask you a question, what's going on here? So I, I wasn't feeling intimidated, but I like took a hot tip thinking that I'm a hot shot. I know what's going on. I put some money with this investment manager, $75,000. And within a few, and within a few months, I lost $50,000. And it was like this aha moment, like, wait a second, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. I'm working. Well, that was after I worked on wall street and I was already in Israel where I was on a trading floor investing the government's money. I was like co-managing portfolios here, but still I made this huge money mistake. I had a lot of shame around it. I didn't talk to my husband about it for like, I don't remember a few weeks, few months, whatever. I mean, we don't keep secrets between us. So I did come and share and tell him what, what happened. And then it became my mission to really unravel, speaking of the name of your podcast, right? What was going on? What was I thinking? And it led me to my money story and understanding like, where did this like thing come from that I just like threw money into the markets without checking it out. And I searched it back to like, really like greed, which comes from a lack of safety, like not feeling safe around money that I need to like get money quickly, hold on to it. And, or just like be very um, daring, frivolous, like not paying attention. There's this like cognitive dissonance between being um, sensible. I don't want to say responsible because I think that can have a sort of negative connotation. It's like an adult saying like, you have to be responsible, but being more grounded, thorough and sensible and really researching what I was doing. Like what business did I have taking a hot tip? And I had no idea what, what I was doing, but so many people do because they get lured by this like promise of high returns. And that's exactly what happened to me. I just like, as I said, fell into that trap and lost a lot of money. And then I figured it out. <laughs> wow. So I feel like many of us who don't come from a finance background, we can easily justify that we don't know what it's all about, what the jargon means, what to do. And it's really comforting to hear that even people who, you know, work as financial planners and who invest money often make personal money mishaps right. because you're human too. And you have a money story as well. Right. And, and really so much of our money story goes back to our family of origin stories and 
how we were brought up. And as you said, like you're, you're half German and my family's all from Germany. My grandparents, my dad was born in Germany. We were kicked out of Nazi Germany or we escaped from Nazi Germany during the um, 1938, 39, you know, the beginning of the Holocaust. And we got to the United States and my family had to start again from scratch. So I feel like there's a lot of deprivation and scarcity. I mean, I've been unraveling my story for years and, and I know that and I feel it in my body. Like even now, sometimes I can feel it in my body. It's, it's definitely different, but that sort of impulse to like put money somewhere where I can make quick, you know, get rich quick, that I don't feel anymore. But I still feel this like, you know, like effervescence or like buzzing feeling if there's something that seems like a good deal. But now, or actually alternatively, if I feel like, oh, money's going to go away from me, but now I can drop into my body and I can notice what's going on, which is, you know, it's a, it's a skill that we develop over time. Mm-hmm. I love that you brought your family into the picture because our money story really is way, goes way beyond your own story. It's our ancestors and, you know, the generations and generations behind Mm -hmm. us that so deeply influence how we relate to money. I have the same pattern in my body. My grandma grew up in what's at the time it was Eastern Prussia. And my Uh grandpa is from what's now someplace in Poland. So they were of German descent and then Uh got kicked out of Eastern Europe as children. They were like seven and eight years old and they just had to get up and leave because, you know, otherwise you know, they would have been killed for being German in a place where you're not supposed to be German. It's like telling American, um, Italian Americans that they have to go back to Italy now because they're not American, even though they don't speak the language, may have never even been there. That was the case with my grandparents. And so many people during that time had this experience of just needing to, um, you know, leave everything behind and completely start from scratch. In this day and age, so many of us move. You move from the United States to Israel. You know, I've lived all over the world in so many different countries. And it's easy to think um, that that's normal, but immigration and moving is a huge trauma that resonates throughout the entire family system. So how did this deprivation wiring, how did that show up in your relationship with money when you were younger? Well, for me, and, and it's like, the, it's, it's layered because my, and first of all, because my family had to reestablish themselves, like we were, I actually was doing some journaling yesterday on my money story, like going back and doing some more digging. And I was writing down how I am the second in the family. I got my older brother's hand-me-downs and, you know, the stores that we, that we shopped at, we shopped at Sears and I don't know if Kinney's shoe store still exists, but Kinney's was like a low, kind of like a pay less or whatever the lower price, like discount places. And I got his hand-me-downs. I mean, not for all of my clothes, but some of them. And then my sister, who's younger than I am, she got the, the pink frilly things. And I was a little bit heavier than she was. And I was just writing and I felt like hard done by this. This is like the message that's coming out that she got the delegate things, the pretty things, the pink things. And there's one dress that I remember that was when my parents went on a trip to Hawaii, the pink dress. And I wore it until it was so small. It was like pinching me on, you know, in my armpits because I, I couldn't even wear it anymore because I had grown and the dress was small and I was wanted to wear it as a shirt. And it, my, my money story just went off into like that kind of sibling rivalry kind of thing. It's like, it's not fair. And I just let it flow and let it be there. But then 
when I was 10, my parents got a divorce and my dad remarried when I was 12. And my dad had been working for my mother's father. Yeah. So then when my dad remarried, my dad was fired because <laughs> you're not going to have your ex-son-in-law. I mean, you could, but that's not how it was. My dad was fired and we were back to having no money. Now, by that time, we had like safety and security established in the family. My dad, God bless him. He's a great couponer. <laughs> like we knew how to do the coupon things. Even like we had four kids in our family stand in different lines at the supermarket. This one has these coupons. That one has those coupons. Like he knew how to work the system before there were now people with blogs on how to do the couponing thing. Right. So my dad knew how to work the system, but when he didn't have a job, I remember wanting to go to summer camp and he's like, I don't have any money right? Like I can't send you to summer camp. I wanted to go to music camp. I was singing in choirs when I was in school. He's like, sorry, not this year. So I went to work. I was, I did babysitting, which I'd always done. And there was something when I was growing up, I don't know if it still exists called youth employment service. I grew up in Los Angeles. You had to be 14 to sign on to work, to be, to get a job through the youth employment service. I was only 13 and a half. And of course I didn't have a driver's license. So I just signed up and I lied about my birth year. I said I was born in 1962 instead of 1963. And I got jobs. <laughs> I was cleaning houses. I cleaned house for somebody that I went to school with. And his mom was a lawyer. The house was a mess. And I was like, like this is also part of the money stories is that like wealthy people, they leave their houses a mess. They don't take care of it and they let somebody else whom they don't have to pay a lot of money, you know, take care of their house and clean up after them. And the guy, he was like off at tennis camp or something like that. But I became resourceful and resilient and I earned the money and I sent myself to, to summer camp. But like these stories of not enough money or I have to work hard for my money, it can't be easy, right? Like those, those are stories that I have and I work on, on unraveling them. And I'm not the kind of person who needs a lot of things. There are people who, because of their deprivation, they'll go and they'll buy, 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 buy. They need, they'll become hoarders. They'll, that fear of not having enough means they'll take what they have and they'll spend it. So I'm more sensible and responsible. I like having money. I like having it in my bank. I like having it in my investment accounts. It's, it's nice for me. And then if there's something I want, I like spending it. So, and I, and maybe that's just because of the work that I've done. Mm -hmm. I love that in your story, there's also an approach kind of coming through of reflecting on your past, observing your own behavior, observing your feelings around money. Uh, and then just kind of, it feels like it's some part of you is always asking like, what's the healthy middle ground for me? How can I engage with money in a way that makes me, that honors me and makes me feel really safe in my own skin? Oh, I like that. I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really it's really lovely because it's an ongoing journey, right? Like I yeah. we can't say that you've arrived or that I've arrived. It's just that like new opportunities with money continuously arise and we just kind of navigate them to the best of our ability. Right, like raising your children and what sort of 
money story? What sort of money, you know, do you want to raise with them or the atmosphere in the home? And here's one of the things that I noticed when I started really working on my money story. My husband bought something um, in Israel, like products that we ship in from the United States. Some of them can be, you know, pretty expensive. He bought grape nuts. I don't know if you ever bought grape nuts. He likes grape nuts. I like grape nuts. They cost like four times more in Israel than they do in the United States. Maybe it's only twice as much. It doesn't much matter, but he bought a box. I like flipped out. I went ballistic at him for buying this box of grape nuts. I'm like, and this was actually when I had really started digging into my money story, but I was like, whoa, like what happened to me? And it was just like being triggered by not having enough money. Yeah. Especially, you mean the sunglasses, right? What do you mean? Um, I'm not sure if I, I, I heard you say he bought Ray-Bans. Is that right? Oh, no, no, no. The cereal grape nuts. Grape nuts. Oh my God. I get it now. I was thinking that maybe he bought something like to wear because I remember that when you were little that um, you always received the hand-me-downs. And I noticed right. in my own story that often things like repeat in my life because I was in the same, like so many of our so much of your money story is like very similar to my money story. And mm -hmm. I notice myself now when it comes to clothes, always hesitating because I'm not used to being dressed in lovely things because that just wasn't the case for most of my life. And then when it comes to food, my mom would always just buy the essentials, nothing frivolous. So now when I want something that seems frivolous, you know, like cereal, like you could have, you know, scrambled eggs or something of like right. local hens, you know, it doesn't have to be shipped in from across the world. <laughs> you know, I noticed that my body's kind of hesitating. So it sounds like in that moment, your unconscious money story kind of kicked in and was like, Ooh, it's like, we have this story in our heads of like what we're allowed to spend money on and what we're not allowed to spend money on. And right. often we don't know what's on either one of these lists. You know, and so it sounds like when your husband bought these cereal that all of a sudden, like your list popped up and was like, this is on the red list. This is frivolous. Wow. So what an amazing way to discover more about yourself. Right, right. And, and back to your point, like, are you allowed to buy things that you want? Mm -hmm. Right. You said you like to wear pretty things. Like, are you allowed to buy them? Like, and who says where and where do you draw the line? Right. And it's like, these are like nuances of money. There is no right answer. And everybody has to work on the story for themselves. I mean, I do like to be very sensible. I want to make sure that my clients have money saved for their retirement, especially because I work predominantly with people in midlife. Not all of them. I mean, I have clients as young as mid twenties, but some of my clients that come to me in their forties and fifties, they don't have enough money for the future. And we really need to work on making more money now because, you know, the 40s, the 50s, even the 60s are beautiful years for people to be earning money. But so many of us in like my generation, we haven't been educated to go out and show up boldly as women and make lots of money. I kind of feel like I'm the first generation that was told you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. But our moms were not that my mom was, she was, she studied nursing. And when she was pregnant with my older brother, she was very nauseous and she left nursing school. And my stepmom was a teacher. So their, their income was very low. 
And so we were sort of thrown in my generation, like go and do whatever you want, but we don't know how to handle that. We don't know the, where the, where the lines are, you know, what we're allowed to do, what not being very bold. Like now I think people, especially on social media, are very open and out there and bold, not everybody, but a lot of people. And for people in my generation, even their forties, but fifties, especially like, it feels very, very uncomfortable. We're kind of old school, like let's meet people, word of mouth, meet, even networking groups is something that's uncomfortable for, for a lot of my clients. And they just want to be there and do the thing and have their clients refer to them. So getting them to step up and be visible, because just think about it once upon a time, you know, we're both from the States, like the Salem witch hunts, you know, you were bold and visible, you could be burned at the stake. So like, don't show up on social media and, and speak your mind because who knows who's going to burn you at the stake. It's, it's a remembrance in our bodies, right? Because sometimes yes. our minds may think, oh, but it's just social media or, oh, my business coach tells me to go, um, you know, market myself or, oh, I know I should have money for retirement that I should be looking into this. Or, you know, I know it's okay every now and then to buy something lovely for myself. Our minds may, un may understand, but if our bodies don't feel that it's safe because of all this unconscious wiring that we're bringing to the table with money, um, it's like, it's like our body is doing something It's pretty much often doing the opposite of what our mind is telling us we should be doing. Yes. Yes. I'm really curious. What was an insight you had with money that really helped you? That's a great question. And because it's so, because, because I just posted on social media today about this. Um, but I think it's more money does not make you feel more safe. Please elaborate. So the very like um, strong example of that is if you have someone who wins the lottery, most lottery winners end up losing their money within two to three years. And so many of them say that it was like the worst thing that ever happened to them. But we have a financial thermostat with set points that tell us how much money we feel comfortable having, spending, earning, even how much money we feel comfortable being in debt. I once gave a workshop and I was talking about financial thermostats and somebody in the audience said like her parents, they could go from minus 5,000 to zero minus 5,000 to zero. Like they could get themselves up to zero, but they could never get beyond zero because their financial thermostat was set, I'd say very low. And just like if it's hot in your house and then your air conditioner kicks on, when it gets to a comfortable temperature, right here in Israel, it's like 22 or 23, cause we're in uh, Celsius, right? But, uh, but when it gets comfortable, the air conditioner shuts off. So when it's comfortable for you to have the amount of money that you feel comfortable having or earning the amount of money you feel comfortable having, your financial thermostat shuts off. And when you make more money, it doesn't feel great. It feels kind of horrible. And your brain starts going into like, maybe this isn't going to last. Maybe it's a fluke, right? Somebody's going to take it away from me. We just get very unsafe and very worried because it's not what we're used to. Mm -hmm. And some people will squander it. 
they'll spin out. So rather than going back to work, you know, doing the work in their work, they will decide to take three weeks off or something like that. So they're sabotaging themselves and in their business, or maybe just, they just don't want to like pay attention to it. And they're so worried that the money's going to be taken away. They'll go hustle and grind and hustle and grind to like do more things and earn more money. And it probably won't be productive because they're doing it from scarcity and not with creative juices flowing. So it's kind of fascinating that we continue to feel the scarcity and lack, even when we make more money. Mm, that's fascinating. I know I have some clients who are millionaires who are so stressed out about money. Yes. Then I have some clients who don't earn like a gazillion. We're at like 6,000, 7,000 a month, some like 24,000 a month. And for them, they're like, I'm set for life. If this day is my set point, that's a lovely way to live. And so I love that you said that more money doesn't necessarily make you feel safe. It also won't necessarily, you know, fix your issues. Because if you're a worrier about money at a certain level, you might also be a worrier if you have more money. If you're a spender now and you don't fix that, you'll be a spender later on. You know, many people increase their income, increase their expenses and still end up broke. This is why the inner and the outer have to go hand in hand, right? A hundred percent, right. I I even had a client once, she had inherited multi-millions. She probably had $10 million more or less, you know, in her, um, you know, in her net worth. And she just kind of came up to me very quietly. And she said, Debbie, money isn't a blessing. It's a curse. Mm. This brings me to something you said before we hit record. You said that 90% of the world population has money issues. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would guess. Actually, the American Psychological Association has done surveys and 70 to 80% of people do have financial anxiety. Like that has been documented and researched. I read that too. Imagine that amount of people citing money as their primary stressor. Right. And it's, it's, and then I think about how many times per day we interact with money. We think about money, how many areas of our life money touches all of them. Right. And that Mm -hmm. most of us simply settle with this sense of discomfort around money. And then I used to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder once I got my money to be flowing better, that was much better too, you know? So um, it's, it's, it's such a huge opportunity. Um, why do you think many of us struggle with money and, hmm, and don't get the help that we probably need and deserve? It's uncomfortable. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want to admit, like there's a lot of shame around feeling uncomfortable around money. Like we should feel comfortable around money, but, but to admit that to someone like that, I feel stressed about money. We just feel weird about it. Yeah. I remember when I was feeling stressed, I would think that I'm the problem, that I'm so flawed Mm-hmm. And I have no control over myself and this money thing. It's like, it's just running through my fingers. It's like this, um, like these invisible hands 
that are just kind of taking my money away from me. And I thought, well, there's no point in admitting it because then I'll have like, it, it'll make it even more real that I'm just really, really bad at this money thing. Right. So I can really relate to that shame. And we weren't taught anything about money. I mean, most of us, right? In school, we learn about history and science and geography, calculus, trigonometry. How many of us use that? I don't, <laughs> right? But even how to like, well, we don't almost use checkbooks anymore, but just how to balance a budget, how to pay attention to the money coming in and the money going out, very basic money skills, how to invest in the markets so you'll have money when you retire, right? If you put your money to use and you put it into the stock market and you just let it grow, like you could just put a little bit away, $100 every single month. I mean, you know, depending on how much money you're earning for some people, that could be a lot, but get started, get to know the financial markets. I don't regret that I lost $50,000 because that was the impetus for me going and finding out and figuring out more. And then I took back control of our financial portfolio and it's grown beautifully since then. I don't do anything fancy. I keep our money almost exclusively in market indexed funds, which we can talk about if we want to get more geeky or more specific about it. But I just like to follow the market and do what's the marketing, what the market is doing. I don't try to, you know, outperform the market. Just as long as my money does what the market is doing, it will return on average 10% per year. And that leaves me a lot of headspace to go and build my business and serve my people. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Money can bring so much peace of mind. When, yeah, when just like knowing. And, and I think now because the stock market is down, like in, you know, in the beginning of 2022, a lot of people are starting to feel shaky again. So there is the peace of mind, but now people are starting to get like the rumbling, like, uh-oh, should I take my money out of the market? And I don't like to trade the market. I don't like to time the market. I kind of look at it now as like, oh, stocks are on sale. Hmm, let me watch what's going on and see if I have any money that I want to put into the market that I can leave there for 10 years or 15 years that, you know, I don't need in the near future. Mm -hmm. I love it when you talk about stocks and bonds and stuff, because it sounds doable. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It doesn't have to be complicated, right? It's, it's like, it's really, really not rocket science. I think the financial industry is kind of predicated on making it seem like it's rocket science. So people are like, oh no, I can't do that. But here's what I have to tell you. When there's a medical crisis in your family, like you should never know, but 20 years ago, my husband had cancer and you know, we figured out all of the medical terminology. We read and read and read. There was no Google back in those days. We had to do everything on like Yahoo, like search engine. I don't even remember what the search engine was back in, you know, back in those days, but we read so much and we figured it out and long, I don't know if they're Latin words for, you know, the certain kind of cancer that he had, but we figured it out. We understood what was going on. And if you can figure that out, you can figure out financial assets and the financial markets, and you can know enough at least to have a like sensible peer-to-peer -peer discussion with any financial advisor whom you might want to hire to manage your portfolio. Like if you really, really, really don't want to do it yourself, but get some knowledge, get like, learn the jargon, right? If you're going to go visit a foreign country, you'd learn a few words so that when you get off the airplane, you would know what hello, goodbye, 
<laughs> taxi, like, you know, like a few basic words in that country. So like learn some of the financial language of the financial markets, because this is your future. Mm, I love that, Debbie. Thank you so much for your wisdom. One last question. Yeah. What is, what's your number one money practice or ritual right now? Well, I said, I'm, I've gone back into like excavating my money story. And I think that new things always, always come up. And I think this is really important for anybody building a business, because as we grow upwards, right, I think there has to be a balance. So when we ex excavate down, right, there's going to be other stuff under the surface in our subconscious, like in our unconscious programming around money, and we want to maintain the balance. So in order to thrive up, we also need to dig down. So I think that would be one really important practice, like not to think that it's one and done and, oh yeah, I did that work like two years ago, five years ago, like, no, come back and revisit because new information, new wiring is going to come to the surface and you want to deconstruct that and reprogram your mind and your nervous system around money. So that's one thing, if I can have two. And the other yes. thing is like track your money. Like people just like push it away and don't want to look at their numbers because they're afraid of the story that they think the money is going to tell them. But the numbers are all neutral. They're just like digits on a piece of paper or in a Google sheet or Excel sheet. It's just numbers. And you get to interpret the data any way you want. But not knowing your numbers doesn't give you any authority or agency over your money. So track your money, your income and your expenses. I love that inner and outer. There you so go. important. Oh, you're amazing. Where can people connect with you? On my website, debbysassen.com. On my Instagram at debbysassen. And I hang out a lot on Facebook. <laughs> it's on my business pages, Debbie Sassen Coaching. Amazing. And we also have the links to your work under this podcast episode. So everybody click on through and connect with Debbie. With and Debbie. my podcast. I was like, and my, pad, my podcast, Mastering Money in Midlife. There you Mastering go. Money in Midlife. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Debbie. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. I've got a special gift for you. Claim your 13 Money Bliss affirmation cards and accompanying audio at hannahbeer.com slash affirmations. That's H-A-N-N-A-B-I-E-R dot com slash affirmations for free right now. These affirmation cards are magical. When you read them once, twice, again and again, they will open the way to a new and more fruitful relationship with money. You'll start to live this energy called money bliss and be astounded with the amazing results you can create in no time. I promise. Head on over to hannahbeer.com slash affirmations now.